Okay, welcome to another edition of the Culture Class Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and get to learn about other cultures. Today, my name is Nosa Ayari and welcome to another episode. Um, before I go into the episode and if my guest will permit me, I'm recording this particular episode on October the 13th. So today is Tuesday, October the 13th, and I would say for about four or five days now, since October the 9th or so, we've been having a lot of protests in the country where I'm from, in Nigeria. Uh, a lot of uh, my country people are protesting uh, police brutality in the country. So um, there's a special unit of the Nigerian police called the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, um, SARS or SARS, as people know it. And I don't know if like, they don't have enough work to do, but you know, that unit has been notorious for harassing like civilians and like extorting money from people and setting people up and things like that. So um the country has pretty much been, you know, I don't want to say locked down, but you know, it's a lot of people in the streets, a lot of young people, and the inspector general police just uh finally dissolved SARS and now he's saying he's gonna replace it with SWAT, which is the special weapons and tactics unit, which is story for another day but um yeah um just i might publish this you know three or four weeks from now so the story would have probably blown over but i just wanted to put it on record that you know um i stand with you nigerian youths and uh, i've also been a victim of sars when i lived in nigeria and i know how it is and it's about time we had no long lasting reform um all around the globe or in that particular country regarding police reform. Like police brutality is such a universal problem in every single country. Like, and maybe I'll talk to my guest about it a little bit, but uh, first let me welcome you to the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thank you so much. And how's your day been so far? It's been all right. Yeah, I just woke up. Pretty normal day here in San Diego. Just enjoying the weather. You just woke up. Like, how was the time in San Diego? It's almost uh, 5.15 p.m. where I am in Denver, Colorado. Oh, yeah. I um, I I woke up very early, but my day was just, you know, pretty slow. You know, I just woke up and after, after waking up, just kind of relaxed and went about the day. Got it. The pandemic life. Got it. Got it. Pandemic life. Yeah, it's 4.14 here. Got it. Well, um, you are in California and I don't know how long you've lived in California. Uh, I'm not sure of what city in California exactly the Rodney King riots happened, um, you know, in, in the 90s and whatnot. That might be maybe probably before, you know, you were born or whatever. Uh, but police brutality, like we're 6,000 miles away from Nigeria, but we see this reoccurring in like countries, different countries, like issues with police brutality and things like that. Like, have you ever like had way to start the podcast, right? Have you ever had an incident with the police yourself? Uh, this is just by way of, you know, connecting with what's going on right now in Nigeria. Yeah. Um, you know, fortunately, I haven't had any um, conflicts with the police back home um, or here for that matter. Um, I've only ever been pulled over once um, while I was driving and it was for a speeding ticket. But I mean, I was definitely super, super tense whenever that happened, but I mm. fully this I was going 18 over so in that case I would like, I welcomed the speeding ticket and was glad that that was all that was uh coming my way <laughs> got it got it and, and you talked about whom and we'll probably touch on that in a little bit but let me talk about your name like you have such a cool name man like Nick Cox like it's almost like James Bond Jamie Fox like all these cool names out there like is that your actual real name or is that like a stage name like Travis Scott or something yeah that's my actual name um uh-huh. I don't have a 
hung up a middle name. So it's just my full name's Nicholas Cox. But uh, yeah, I just go by Nick Cox. Nice, nice, nice. And where is home for you exactly? You talked about, uh, uh, I'm not sure if you talked about being pulled over when you were home, but, but where is home uh, for you, Nicholas? I usually say home is Salisbury, North Carolina, because that's where my parents live and that's where I spent most of my time, you know, when I grew up. Okay, uh, so North Carolina, uh, but you were actually, fun fact, you were actually born in Ukraine, right? Yeah, that's right, in Odessa, Ukraine. That's pretty interesting, Odessa, like, and, and when were you born, if I could ask? Uh, 1997. 97, oh, okay, so you grew up, like, kind of like in the mid-2000s, that kind of thing. Um, what, like, paint the picture for me, uh, and, like, you were born in Odessa, Ukraine, like, what were your parents doing in Odessa, Ukraine? Like, you know, do you know like the backstory of you being born there? Yeah. So I don't know too much about the details, but I know that um, my parents, my biological parents met in Ukraine and I had a biological mother that was Ukrainian um, and then a dad that was an exchange student, like um, likely from a country in Africa. Um, so I was told, and I was adopted at age three. Um, and so my biological parents gave me up for adoption. And then about two years later, I actually was adopted. And that's um, who I lived with from then on. It was my adopted parents in the U.S. Can you remember, I know you were just like three years old, but can you remember anything about Ukraine whatsoever? I don't really have any solid memories. Everything's kind of like fuzzy. Okay, uh, so you, you don't really, uh, obviously you are you know, such a young kid uh, uh, growing up in, in Ukraine, but have you had any connection with the country since then whatsoever? Like, I, I'm not sure if your adopted parents like kept any records of your birth parents or if you've been in touch with any of them, your mom or your dad, or you've even visited the country. Like, have you done any of that uh, since you left when you were three? It's a good question. So I don't have any documentation that I'm aware of that would give me any details about, you know, their history or, you know, their background. I don't know what they look like. I don't know their names. Uh, you know, I don't know if I had any siblings, like any of that stuff. I assume I didn't have any siblings and I haven't had a means to return there as of yet, but that's something I would like to do in the future. Um, and I actually did recently start learning Ukrainian, super basics, but, um, trying to get the foundation down so that when I do go back, I actually have a good knowledge of the language. I mean, this is pretty interesting and it's a pretty sensitive topic, I must imagine, because on one hand, you have, like, of course, parents that raised you and, you know, you you know as mom and dad and yet they are grateful for, obviously, for providing for you, teaching you. But though I can imagine, like, I might not be able to relate, but I can imagine there's also that part of you that yearns to just know, you know, where you come from. Like, I have, I'm, da I'm dating, my girlfriend was adopted from Haiti and she has parents who are Caucasian as well. But the flip side is that she knows her birth parents. So her, her adopted parents were, were sure to like keep records of her birth parents and they, they used to write letters uh, from time to time. But I can only imagine like a situation where you don't necessarily know. Uh, have you, if you are even going to go to Ukraine, how do you even start that? Do you like go to the hospital where you think we're born? Do you like track back the agency? Like how do you even start to, to begin that journey? That's a, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and I haven't considered it too much. I'll be honest, like a lot of it's just building up the courage first to go back because likely I would go by myself. 
and I have no problem traveling by myself. I've done it solo um, a number of times and um, been out of the country by myself, mm. been out of the US by myself. Um, so that part is okay. But just being able to return somewhere that I know that I have like roots in is different, you know, versus a place that I've never been to. True. Uh, so I think you're right. I probably would attempt to go through the adoption agency and maybe work backwards, see if I could um, find any details through them. Okay. So uh, talk to me about growing up in Salisbury, North Carolina. Like when you left Ukraine at three, did you go directly to North Carolina? What was that? Paint the picture with the places you grew up. Yeah. So I went to Tampa, Florida first, arrived there. I think it was between three and a half and four, almost four, I think. Maybe it was around Christmas time. So I spent my first Christmas in the U.S. and took a couple years to kind of get acclimated to the culture. And so my parents told me I was a little bit awkward, more shy, I guess you could say, introverted. Um, but I still like to you know, be outside and explore and stuff like that. And I think I recognized quickly that I was different. And so that was kind of part of my identity even early on was trying to... How so? Well, it was the battle between normalcy and like other otherness, or like trying to always win this battle of like not standing out too much. Was the there same- a specific incident at that age I could remember that kind of like made you realize that, hey, this is different kind of thing? Oh, there are so many incidents. I mean, it was every day. It was just, you know, every time you go out in public, for me, even I was like four or five, always people staring. And just like, that was the worst for me. It was just like, I always felt eyes on me and just felt like I would just want to disappear, just not be the center of attention at all times. But it also could have been something that it's like a psychological mechanism that it, I felt like people were watching me all times, but maybe that actually wasn't the case. And so it was like my mind being in this like defensive mode. But were, yeah, these, were these people from, were, were these people outside your family? Uh, did you ever feel different? Uh, in the midst of your your family, and I'm talking like extended family, like uncles, aunts, that kind of thing. Oh yeah, fortunately, my family was pretty accepting. Like, I don't have any racist uncles or anything like that. No rednecks in the family, even though we lived in North Carolina. But <laughs> yeah, um, I was always pretty cool with my cousins and extended family. And uh, my sister is actually from Guatemala, so. Oh. It kind of helps. Oh, so your, your parents adopted uh, children from different countries. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. So her and I, so it did kind of help to like fill that void a little bit and feel like there was someone else that could kind of share that feeling, you know, because her, her story was very similar in that she didn't know, you know, she left it one so she was even younger than i was she obviously didn't have a connection with her biological parents at one so that's pretty rough like your parents being what was their rationale for like adopting kids if they ever shared that with you from different countries how many siblings do you have by the way um three siblings three siblings so you guys are four and are all of you adopted two are adopted and then two are biological from my parents from your parents, okay. And what was your what was your rationale for adopting like a lot of like uh, Christian missionaries, for instance, that, that find themselves traveling the globe or end up adopting kids from different countries? Was that their story or was something else? It's I you know I still don't really know, but it wasn't quite for religious 
kind of practices or I don't think it was any sort sense of um, like white superiority or white um, savior complex. It was more so just like a, I think almost like a curiosity as well as like they genuinely wanted to, you know, support somebody, you know, to, they had sufficient income, they had sufficient means to support more kids. And they thought, why don't we just adopt as opposed to having more? Or, yeah, and and I didn't mean that. And if it came up that way, I apologize. I didn't mean it to to mean like uh, a white superiority complex uh, or anything like that. You know, just curious to know as to why uh, you know um, they, they they ventured out to adopt. Uh, obviously, we had a lot of programs, especially pre nine eleven, where you know a lot of adoption was going on uh, with um, American parents, but you know probably became a little harder after nine uh, eleven. Uh, yeah. And things like that. So, so your parents are are Caucasian, right? Growing up with them, like, how was that like? Did your dad? I don't know when these conversation. You know, the, these conversations that transition from boys to men. You know, where you have your first beer with your dad, or you know, for someone like me, I remember it was when my dad allowed me wash the car for the first time. It was like you're growing up now. Like, let's go wash the car together. Like, uh, I felt so so proud. You know, that kind of thing. How was that moment like uh, for you? Like that, you know, transcending to becoming a man moment. And I asked that question to to know. Uh, if at any point you ever discussed with your dad the issue of identity, the issue of race, and how early that conversation uh, was had? I don't remember there being like one definitive conversation, but mm. even as early as I can remember, like I just remember acknowledging it, you know, like there's no, there's no moment in my life where I can recall not acknowledging difference to my parents racially. And, um, you know, like, I guess like, you know, typically I think my parents did have some sort of conversation and they at least tried to get into my head that like people will perceive you differently, but that doesn't mean that you are different and did reinforce that I was their son, regardless of how I looked or where I came from. Oh, that's, uh, that's pretty, that's pretty deep. That's pretty deep. And eventually, like when you grew up in, in Salisbury, North Carolina, you talked about venturing out on your own to like different places. Uh, I don't know if that was like within America, outside America, but when was the first time you ventured out of the comfort of your home? Like a lot for a lot of people, it's like going to college. You know, some people get to go on certain trips when they are, you know, 13 or 14, but for a lot, majority of the population is like going to college. What was that first time you left that comfort zone to like go out into the world by yourself to see for yourself? Yeah, I think it probably was college. I wish I could have done it earlier, but I was, again, like a really like a financial limitation. There's no way feasibly I could have gone anywhere. Mentally, I was already gone, you know, even at age 11. You know, 10, 11, 12, I was already mentally, I was in California. I was in, you know, elsewhere. What makes you say, why California? <laughs> California was always the place. I mean, we we talked about it when we were younger, said when we grow up, we'll go to California. You know, we'll start a new life. And I just was obsessed with that idea of like being not independent, but just, well, obviously being independent, but not being like isolated, but being kind of on my own to an extent and like being able to start my own, build my own identity and not have, 
I don't know if that does that make any sense. Just kind of like start something new, you know, that nobody else has done before. Wait, before I answer that question, when you say we, who's we? Oh, this is just like childhood friends. Mm, interesting. Well, um, I, I don't know, like you probably know better than me, but if I were to come kind of like liking it to me coming to the U.S., for example, like um, in as much as, you know, there was like economic opportunity with the American dream or whatever, like that could have been had anywhere. That could have been had in Canada, that could have been had in the UK, Australia, whatever country there were. But why specifically America? Like I saw it as an opportunity to, like you said, reinvent myself and an opportunity to achieve like my true potential, which I didn't see myself achieving in the country where I come from, at least not to the extent in which I had in my mind, if that make any sense. Was that something similar for you? Or does that like into your situation as well? Yeah, you honestly like beautifully articulated what I was thinking. I, I just couldn't say it, but that's exactly what it is. It's about just like reaching your full potential and being in an environment that's going to foster like the most growth, you know? I see it. I see it. Uh, but, but in that case, like if you had that permission since when you were a kid, um, why didn't you, or let me not say why, probably, you know, there are several reasons, uh, but, you know, going to college, because you did go to college at Duke, which I guess is in Durham? Maybe? Yeah. Yeah, 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 Duke is in, in Durham, North Carolina, which is you know pretty close to Salisbury compared to California. Like, why did you decide to to go to Duke? Uh, uh, why did it take you this long to to chase the gold rush? Yeah, oh, it's so funny you say that. So I did apply to schools in California, and I didn't get in <laughs> to any of them. And it wasn't so important to me to move to California that I would sacrifice college because number one goal at that time was to go to college and graduate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just took what I could get. I didn't get into Indiana State schools, but I did get into Duke. So I was like, you know what? You took what you could get. Duke is not such a bad school, bro. <laughs> yeah, I, at the moment, I was like, well, it's okay, I'll just go to Duke. And then I was happy, you know, those four years, like, it ended up being okay financially. And, you mm-hmm. know, and other, and place. I mean, what other colleges did you apply to just out of curiosity? So I applied to the state the UCLA's of the world, the um, UC Berkeley's mm-hmm. uh, didn't get into either of those. And then I applied to a couple like Ivy League, you know, like Harvard and MIT. And um, the only schools I got into were the three schools in the triangle, um, which are Chapel Hill, UNC, NC, mm-hmm. yeah, UNC, NC State, and Duke. Interesting. You know, the, the college application ex- experience is pretty unique in, like, I went for, I, I attended undergrad back home in Nigeria, but the college application experience is pretty unique in the U.S. And I think it adds to this coming of age movement, like the, the number of things you do when you're 16, being responsible for, you know, shortlist. Obviously, you might have help from your parents if your parents did go to college, but if they didn't, you might be on your own. Like, you know, narrowing down this decision, making this life decision when you're that age. Like where I come from, you just write one central exam and that central exam, which is kind of like the SATs, I guess, right? But we don't have like a separate application. Like you don't write like statements of purpose or, you know, all these different letters to the different schools. Pretty much one exam, you, you, you fill in what college you want to go to, then each college has their cutoff point. And if you're on, on X percentile, you get in. 
Sometimes you get into one, sometimes you get into two. You have to choose. Um, but it's pretty interesting. That experience, I guess, kind of like prepares a lot of teenagers in the U.S. for those kind of serious decisions. Uh, but Duke isn't such a bad school. So I guess you... I don't think you did too poorly in that regard, to be honest. And you recently graduated. Yes. How's your time in college? It was interesting. Yeah, I came in and I was super optimistic and I was super excited, you know, for the new experience. I had a great time, you know, a lot of the time. And there were, you know, many occasions where it wasn't quite as uh, wonderful. But I actually left feeling a lot less optimistic than when I had started, which was super interesting. I think that just growing up, to be honest. <laughs> but but except there are specific incidences that happened, like, because I remember when I was much younger, man, I'm 31 now. So when I was much younger, like I wanted to conquer the one with each passing year, like it knocks out, like uh, I would say a percent, uh, 1% of optimism. So I'm 31. So I, I'm, I'm just left with like 69% of optimism left. And I have to really do something fast because by the time I get to 50%, then it's bad. You know, by the time I'm 50, like I need to really go out there and really achieve all the things I said I wanted to achieve as a kid. And, you know, hopefully, you know, the, the likes of this podcast and other projects I'm doing are getting me closer and closer to that. Uh, but you mentioned something a few seconds ago. You said, uh, college was pretty interesting in some parts, uh, not as interesting in other parts. Let me ask you two questions. First, what did you study? And and the parts that were not so memorable in college, what was that related to? Was it just the general academic life? Was it, you know, getting your heart broken, relationship, or was it other stuff? Okay. So I studied biomedical engineering, and that was my major, and I minored in Spanish. And I would say that I was really interested in the coursework that I did for both of those areas of study. It was never a problem, like my motivation, you know, to continue my drive to continue. Those were always high and those remained high. But what made me less and less optimistic and more and more frustrated was the people I was around. And when you enter college, there's this idea that's put into your head that everything's going to be very collaborative and that the space is like, designed for you to thrive, you know, with everybody else. But that's not how things are. And at least that's not how it was for me. You know, oftentimes it's the complete opposite. You know, it's very competitive and I do okay with competition. Um, I like it, but not everything can be a competition to me. And that's kind of the problem with college is that you have students that all they've ever done. Oh is man, compete. imagine if you go into you know? Harvard or MIT, man. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, I'm just getting a little taste of it, but it's just, and you have all these students that they're cutthroat, you know, they don't care about other people. You know, they're almost borderline, borderline sociopathic in the sense that they're not on the same wavelength as most people, you know, like average person, they're kind of, they're over here. I mean, they're not, they don't pick up on social cues. They're very like narcissistic. And that's a common type you'll run across in um, that, you know, in, in, in advanced education in general. I mean, you know, you know, I'm sure you've run into that too. And that's kind of what turned me off, I think, from that experience. I mean, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I, I have an MBA. So that's as competitive as, competitive as it gets. Uh, everyone is trying yeah. to fight the next person. I guess the only 
a program that's more competitive is probably the law program. Like law school is super competitive, but MBA program, like everyone's fighting next person to get into law school and to get into uh, investment banking or finance. And if you tell them you don't want to do finance, they look at you like you're some kind of alien or stuff. Like, but in my my case, I would say maybe being Nigerian prepared me for that because Nigeria is kind of like a cutthroat environment. So growing up, I was kind of like, I was like, okay, you know, this is what it is. I just have to do what I have to do, whatever, and go get it. Um, would you say you you're, you growing up in uh, Salisbury, I don't know how small a town that is. Would you say college came off as a surprise because growing up, you weren't exposed to that side of, you know, the human race, you know, being competitive, being insensitive, you know, that kind of thing. Or did your parents shield you from things like that? Or, or no, was college like your first experience with that? That's a good question. I think I had experience, socially, I had experience with people being cutthroat. So that, that wasn't new at all. Because I grew up in like a predominantly white area, um, predominantly white school, predominantly white, white classes. You know, in, in high school, most of my classes, I was the only like person of color. So I was used to being like kind of forced to work harder and elevate, you know, the like rigor I was bringing. Um, and again, like I'm, I never from high school onward, I never had a point where I felt like this is too much and I'm going to call it quits. Oops. Um, so I think my nature is to be kind of raw, but I never let that be at the expense of my personality and my morality. I think that's what a lot of people sacrifice is that to achieve these great things that they want to achieve. Some of them are really, really, you know, awesome. You know, like they want to cure this disease or they want to, you know, invent this device but they're willing to sacrifice relationships and people to do that. And I'm just not willing to do that. Um, and I think that's just the difference. Wow. You know what that means? That actually means you're stronger than most people because it's easy to be, um, to conform, you know, to what the society expects you to be because they tell you if you have to achieve this, this is what you need to do. You need to go, you need to be like this, you need to be like that. They have all these mentors who are like that and they feel like they need to be like that. So like you said, they sacrifice their inner self, but you're not agreeing to, you know, do that and say, hey, I'm not going to sacrifice my personality or my morality to be something or to achieve something I want to. Like, it seems like you took the road less travel. You took the the most difficult route because it's easier to just switch up. Like your heart get breaking gets broken once and you turn to a monster, right? Like you stop being the nice guy because you're like, F everybody. you know, that kind of thing. So that actually speaks volumes to, you know, the kind of person you are. And I can see like, you know, just by your you know countenance, your your voice and the way you, you approach, you know, just uh, you have such a calm demeanor. Like where did that come from? Was that your mom? Was that your town? Is that just genetics? Like where, where did that come from? <laughs> That's funny. I was just listening to a song recently, you know, a couple hours ago. It's called Nature Versus Nurture. And it literally talks about, it's just so funny we're talking about this now. It talks about like a guy that doesn't know where he came from. And even though like he doesn't understand like his origin and, you know, whose blood is essentially flowing through his veins, like he's going to choose where he wants to go and he's going to choose the man, you know, what type of man he wants to become. And I think that's kind of what it is, is like, I don't know if it's me or if it's um, something I learned, but regardless, it's like, 
something I want to do. You know, at some point I decided like, I really want to be a good person. And yeah, you can say like, Oh, like, you know, maybe you're forcing it. I don't really know if that's a good argument, but in general, I want to do good in this world and I want to, you know, support people in any way I can. And, uh, I'd like to say that that came from somebody close to me, but I couldn't tell you who. And how do you think, like, do you think there are practical ways of tapping into that inner strength of like maintaining your morality and things like that? Cause it's so easy to veer off. Like what are some practical ways you think that prevented you from, you know, from that prevented Spider-Man from becoming Venom, if I can put it that way. Like, is it music? Is surrounding yourself with good energy, good friends, or it is what it is, natural selection, or just put some people this way and some people that way, and you don't have control over it? What do you think? Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I did almost have the way you said that, like, point in my life where I had to choose, you know, to like, you know, it sounds cliche, but like darkness or light or whatever. Um, and I mean, it's not something that's, it's not a binary choice. Like you don't just choose to be good for the rest of your life. I mean, it's just kind of something you try to ingrain into your identity. You know, you create these principles for yourself. But yeah, when I was in middle school, I mean, just absolute hardest three years of my life, you know, emotionally, I was having like an identity crisis. I have had multiple identity crises, like most people probably, but just related again to, you know, who I am and background and not knowing you know, my origin. And I think it just came down to finding something that I really like to do. And that eventually led me into, you know, a potential career path. And that was running. I found running when I was like 13. And I mean, I would honestly go as far to say that that changed my life and potentially even saved my life. It was a great, great sport. So you, you did you run professionally in college or you just did it more like a recreational activity? Um, I did run in college, but it wasn't professionally. It was um, it was at the varsity level, which is the highest level you can run at um, pre-professionally. But it wasn't um, it wasn't like the label wasn't professional. It's just you just call it like varsity. Oh, oh yeah. Well, when I level. say professional, I don't mean like obviously the NCAA will, will make sure we don't include professional in that. But I just meant competitively. Um, so what what did you run? Like did you run like sh- short distance, long distance, relay? Um, mainly the eight hundred. So mainly the mid distance. So not, nothing to to. And I say that cause I I can't even run a hundred, but you know that's that's beside the point. <laughs> Wow. So you, you did this and you graduated this year. So what, you got into school, what, 2016? And yeah, if you were a runner in Duke from 2016 to 2020, like, did you get to interact with Zion Williamson at all? Because he, he played basketball for Duke, right, during that time? Yeah. Um, I was, so I didn't start on the actual varsity team until my junior year, but that was the year that Zion was there. So yeah, when I was a junior, he was a freshman. Um, and yeah, I mean, I remember that year pretty well. You know, that was a big, you know, in terms of like publicity, I mean, it was insane. There's always, <laughs> you know, a story, superstar on campus. Everybody knows who he is. You know, he's, I mean, he's, he's well, well liked and he's a big guy, you know, so he stands out. <laughs> I mean, he, he is a big you know? guy. Like, I, I haven't seen him up close personally, but just the way he comes across standing next to other people on TV, I'm like, goddamn. Um, 
Is yeah. that something you think you can deal with, like giving your disposition, like your countenance, like, you know, just your, your energy, you have just as good energy. If you were to become overnight, like the most like picture on Instagram or the most popular face in the world, or if, you know, I don't know, you, you start dating someone famous or something. Is that something you think you can deal with that'll be healthy uh, emotionally for you, like, you know, the attention, the paparazzi, all these people, news flying everywhere, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I could handle it. I think, I think it would be naive of me to think that I would be able to like, not indulge myself, you know? Because there's so many of those like, you know, pop stars, celebrities, people that are constantly in the limelight that go down these like really dark, twisted paths, drugs, Justin Bieber, Britney Spears, all those guys. Yeah, it's like I'd like to think that I Michael have Jackson. a really yeah. strong Michael Jackson. I mean, yeah, it's like, but it's like when it, when it comes down to it, I don't think it's always about your will because if you're constantly exposed to these bad influences, then you eventually just say one time, like fuck it, just one, one time. time I'm gonna. I mean, myself. but maybe you might not get as carried away as other people. I mean, you do live in California, so the risk of that is certainly higher. Uh, you are a good looking man. So, you know, who knows? Like, you, even though you like to operate behind the camera, maybe you might be in front of the camera someday. But I say that to say that I find out that celebrities who lived a normal life, like Shaggy, you know, the reggae artist, for instance, like the dude lived a fairly long, normal life. He actually went into the army, you know, did everything. He had the uh, uh, Jamaican parents who were pretty strict and whatnot. So when he became a star at what? 2021, like he was pretty grounded and he knew himself to an extent that even though he indulged, he didn't go overboard compared to Michael Jackson who started at five or Britney Spears who started at eight. They never knew a normalcy. So they that was all they knew on Miley Cyrus. That's why they went overboard in a way. Like you, you know, protecting your energy, you know, living somewhat of a normal life, even though there was some identity crisis and some ups and downs ups and downs, you just might be able to, you know, run through that. I mean, this podcast can be a, a, a test run for that. Let me see how much likes this episode would get. But hey, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I can share it. So maybe uh, maybe it'll just go viral like that. No, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Is that something you're working on? Um, I know you're into like videography, like you like to be behind the camera. You like have a YouTube channel that, you know, film a bunch of cool stuff cool video that I've watched, but have you ever considered being the center of attraction be it with music or acting or just putting your face in all, I don't know, being an influencer or that kind of thing, or you're deliberately staying away from that? Um, well, I wouldn't say like I'm, I'm staying away from like, like viral viralness. I'm not sure what that noun is called, but, um, or like attention in general, because I would love more attention to at least my passions and stuff. Um, but I want to direct that passion towards like the people that I'm working with. And while I would definitely love to be at a point where I can actually bring in income, um, it doesn't have to be me. That's like leading the charge. It's like, I want my brands, you know, if it is like the Nick edition brand that eventually becomes more popular, I want that to be like, you know, the symbol and you don't have to know like who the person is behind it necessarily. You know that, it's a brand that represents a lot of different people, a lot of different talents. And it'd be cool. It'd be so cool if like it was 
more popular than it is. You know, if more people could see it and maybe connect to it. Yeah, that's pretty interesting because just before I put on the recorder, like we're talking before the episode on what you wanted your name to be on this episode, whether you wanted it to be your real name, Nick Cox or like Nick Edition. And you were kind of like, Varying towards Nick Edition, and I was like, "Hey, man, why not just use your real name?" But you know, the, what you just said kind of like made it clearer. Plus, fame is a very delicate phenomenon, right? I always say, if I want to become famous, I'd rather be Steve Rifkind than Diddy or Puff Daddy. Like, you know, Puff Daddy is this globally acclaimed; everyone knows he can't go anywhere. But Steve Rifkind, on the other hand, I know a lot of people are asking right now who the hell is Steve Rifkin. He was as popular as Diddy in the music industry. People who were supposed to know him knew him, like record ex- record label executives, you know, artists, you know, but the public didn't know him because he pushed his artists. He wasn't all up dancing in videos or whatnot. You know, he was behind the scenes, but he was known enough in the industry for radio presenters and people of repute that would help him in his quest, you know, to know him, but he could still take a walk on the street. The average person down the street didn't know who he was. So I kind of like see that as a balance and it's pretty interesting. Um, Let's talk travel, man. Like where, where have you been to? Uh, so far, uh, what countries have you ventured off to? And talk to me about your experiences in those places. Okay, so the three, I've only really been to three um, countries outside the U.S. for like more than a week. And those were Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, and uh, Hungary. Hungary, wow. Okay, well, talk to me about which one did you go to first? And how old were you? Okay, when I was... 19, I went to Hungary. That was Very my first, first time. time. Why Hungary? Yeah, I'm out of the country um, since being adopted. Why, why Hungary? Um, I was a part of a figure skating team when I first joined college. Because, um, you know, I just want to try something new, like most people do. And uh, that was like my new thing. And did it for a year and a half and was able to go on this dream trip. And um, it was like covered financially you know, through financially insane. So I went to Hungary for free and uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. I mean, I went with like nine other girls and one guy because figure skating is like pretty disproportionate. There's way more girls than guys that make up the sport. But uh, yeah, it was really cool just to see Europe, you know, and actually yeah, as an adult and like, you know, be able to digest everything and Really beautiful. Yeah, that's something a lot of Americans don't get to do. I mean, you say you've been to only three countries. Like a lot of Americans haven't even been to, um, if I can generalize here, you know, three plus states, you know. So that's pretty impressive for more than a week. And, you know, Costa Rica uh, must have been pretty cool uh, as well, I can imagine. But which was your favorite country out of those three and what made it the most memorable? Okay, it was definitely Costa Rica. Mm, okay. And that's, yeah. That's the only place I've like actually kind of lived um, out of those three How that long? I visited. Because other three that I was there for two months. It was like it was like borderline, you know, enough time to say that I actually lived there because I um did a work exchange program, and so I was like doing work exchange for like six weeks, and then traveled for like two weeks around the country. Um, but it was so beautiful, and you know, being in a Spanish speaking country was always a dream of mine. And uh, I did that, by the way, second, um, my second summer of college. So following. So every summer uh, you were going somewhere, pretty much. Yeah, I went, I, yeah, pretty much, but not out of the country every summer. Only 
only that one summer. And then that spring break was when I went to Hungary, that first spring break. So yeah. Costa Rica, what, what made that trip memorable? The length of time, just the culture, the food, the music, what was it? It was just the weirdest thing, but I, for the first time in my life, I had felt like I had some sort of like people, you know, I, you know, prior to that moment, I had never in my entire life felt like I belonged anywhere or had any sort of like roots anywhere. You know, I mean, besides obviously Ukraine and besides my hometown where you're supposed to feel like you have roots, I never felt like these are my people and like I'm with, you know, my family and friends. I always felt still kind of isolated in my myself. Um, when I went to Costa Rica, for some odd reason, I think maybe it was just how accepting they were, but I finally felt like I was at home to an extent. And I haven't felt that since I went back. Or I mean, I'm oh, sorry. I haven't felt that since I was there. there. Is that one of the so, reasons why you stayed there for an extended period of time or that was just work-related? Uh, that was, yeah, that was just kind of work-related because I already had um, a range set. And um, yeah, I just stayed there, you know, for that duration. You know what? It's amazing you say that. And I was just talking to this girl, Catherine, who told me the same thing about Senegal. Like she said it that, look, she's from St. Louis, Missouri, and she went to Senegal. That was the first country she visited in Africa. And she, she was like, wow, that for the first time she felt, you know, this sense of, you know, what would I call it? Like just, just a sense of togetherness with the people and whatnot and felt like she belonged somewhere for the first time in her life. And for foreigners like myself, this is something we tend to take for granted, right? Because I know, like I know where my village is. I know where I come from in, in that sense. Like I can go back home. I can trace my lineage or my ancestry. Like I found growing up in a country where a lot of people look like you just tend to take it for granted. You know, that kind of thing. I tend to, you know, forget that not everyone kind of like has that privilege in a way. Um, so I guess if you were to move to a country like permanently, even though you have not necessarily sampled all the country or most of the countries in the world, like just like how you were t thinking with California when you were a kid, like what country will it be based off your perception uh, and why? Good question. Somewhere in the, you know, South America or Latin America, um, I guess, sorry, South America or Central America, but like Latin America in general, because I want to be around people that I feel like have a similar outlook on life um, as me. And I, I can definitely find people like that anywhere. You know, it does, it's not like unique to Latin America, but what I've found and what I've, you know, kind of understood, you know, studying Latin culture through college. Because um, that was an emphasis of my study, like my secondary emphasis. Um, I just found that I'm so interested in their their history and their culture, and I say that loosely because obviously Latin America takes up a huge portion of the world, and there's a ton of countries. But I'm saying the people that fall under the Latin umbrella to me are just so fascinating, and I would just love more time being around them and, you know, assimilating into that culture and being more comfortable with Spanish, um, eventually, you know, being able to fully engage with uh, natives as opposed to, you know, partially. I'm still kind of, there's still kind of a barrier 
you know, language barrier. Like I know Spanish well, very well for, you know, an American, but it's still quite not quite, you know, the same proficiency as English for me. I get it. I get it. I mean, I'm doing this interview series up for Hispanic Heritage Month for the month of October. And, you know, I've really been delving into like, uh, maybe that's not something I've done. And maybe that's something you probably recommend someone for me, Nick. Like I've been meaning to talk to someone about Spanish being spoken in America and like Spanish, Spanish, you know, that kind of thing. Like just to dissect like the differences and things like that. So if you can recommend anyone of Hispanic heritage or Latino heritage that can talk about something like that, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, well, yeah, just uh, as a way to kind of like wrap up the interview, I like to give my guests a couple of minutes at the end to talk about, you know, whatever it is. If there was a question uh, you were meaning for me to ask that I didn't ask, you want to address, if you want to talk to your future self, maybe you want to come back to this recording 10 years from now. Um, if you just want to drop your social media handles, whatever it is, uh, you kind of like have the floor. Wow. Um, well, I don't have anything on top of my head. Um, yeah, I feel like we did a pretty deep analysis of my, my psyche there. Um, yeah, I don't know. You gotta give me, give me something. I, I don't know. Like, kinda... What do you want to do? What do you see yourself doing in say, in say five years? You, you want to, for instance, you want to direct your own movie and hope you can come back to this recording in 2025 and, 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 you know, listen to yourself saying you wanted to direct your own movie in Latin America about, you know, a person who was adopted from Ukraine and ended up in Latin America, that kind of thing, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, that's one thing I would like to, to mention, I guess, is that videography to me is super, super important. I decided in college that I wanted to pursue something, you know, um, parallel to my main, you know, primary career path that I could really invest time into and build, maybe build into a company or a brand, you know, so to speak one day, um, that people could, engage with and, you know, potentially get a service out of. Um, and that's one thing I want to emphasize is focus on, you know, or to whoever, whoever's listening is to focus on your passions and, um, don't let them die because, you know, as I mentioned, I did, you know, lose some optimism to an extent as I progressed through college, but at the same time, that optimism, you know, sometimes was, you know, could have been replaced with just general cynicism. I don't necessarily mean that I was less optimistic about pursuing things in my life that I cared about. It's just that I realized that the world is tough and sometimes it's hard to, you know, follow your dreams and, you know, accomplish the things you want to accomplish. But by no means should that mean you should give up. So keep, you know, keep working and uh, try to be interested in, a couple of things. So you have something to fall back on. And that's really what videography is, is if this whole engineering thing doesn't work for me and, you know, maybe I hate it down the road, I'm going to come back to videography and, you know, I'll have a second home. Most definitely. And and if it's any consolation, if your life is like mine, you're losing 1% of optimism every year. I mean, you were born in 97, you're 23. So you see up like 77%. So <laughs> I think you're doing okay so far. But yeah. Um, yeah, I just want to thank you, man, uh, for coming on the podcast. Uh, apologies if I like poke some holes or psychoanalyzed you in any way. Uh, when you when you get to interact with a whole bunch of people, like I have, sometimes you tend to do these things unconsciously. It's not from a malicious place. Um, I do like your energy. I like your vibe, and hopefully, we can work together uh, sometime in the future. You want to drop your social media handles or no? Yeah, sure. 
Um, so I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Nick Edition. Um, and I have a website in the works and it's going to be a Wix, Wix website. It should be published in the next month. Um, I'll be selling like apparel and, uh, you can find all my videos and stuff on there. So yeah, great, great. And to solve the name problem, you know what we do? We're, we're going to name this episode, Nick Edition with Nick Cox. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. SEO, SEO solved. <laughs> That's how I usually introduce myself if I'm on my Nick Edition page. If I ever am in a video personally and it's like a vlog or any sort of you know portrait style video, I always say, Hey, it's Nick from Nick Edition or like Nick with Nick Edition, you know, some sort of like you know, third person like reference. There we go. There we go. You see two has it better than one. <laughs> All right, guys. It's been another episode of Culture Class Podcast. It's been fun talking to Nicholas Cox of Nick Edition. And you guys can follow us on social media as usual. It's Culture Class Podcast everywhere. Send us an email, cultureclasspodcast at gmail.com. Hashtag NSARS or NSWAT with the police brutality that's going on in Nigeria right now. Um, hopefully our children can get to see a better country and hopefully mankind can get to see a better world in the coming generation. All right, guys. Till next time. Peace.